Here they come! Hello and welcome to episode 113 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average or duff. I'm your host Eric Moore and today I'm joined by Mark McGee to discuss the derelict sequence in Alien. Calling Antarctica Traffic Control. Do you read me Antarctica? Over. Hello Mark. Hello Eric, how are you? Well, it's Friday night, yeah, and uh, yes, and I, and uh, we're sat down and we're going to talk aliens. So I'm 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 mighty fine, thank you very much. I don't think it can get any better than that, can it? I could have a beer and some yeah. Pringles or something with me. That's uh, true, but uh, no, no, this this will suffice. No. This will suffice. Absolutely. All right then. Um, first time you and I talk alien. Oh um, yes, yeah, and it's customary on this show uh, by asking how far. Do you and the subject matter go back? So, how well, far do you go back, Mark? Well, when did it come out? Seventy-nine. Yeah, it's forty I, years old. I was too young to watch it when it came out because I would have been um, in single digits right. <laughs> back then. Um, the first real exposure I had to Alien was at secondary school, probably. So that would have been eighty. 82, something like right. that, 1982, at Woolies, at Woolworths. Mm-hmm. Very often they sort of sold off old sort of comics and stuff at the end of aisles. I think it was Woolworths, either that or an old supermarket in town. And there I picked up a couple of graphic novels. Now, one was a Star Trek one. It was like a Star Trek timeline or history thing, uh, very non-canon. And the other one was the alien graphic novel. What, the Walter Simonson one? Yes. That yes. was in Woolworths or, or a local Yeah, I, I picked it up for something, something pocket money uh, stuff. Blimey. What was very interesting, what tickled me, is a mate of mine at school, whose uh, name I won't say, uh, just in case he's listening, I don't know. But uh, he also picked up a copy of this, and we agreed that we'd bring our copies into school and we'd go through them and, and have a look, because neither of us had watched the film or anything. His had been uh, redacted. By his parents. So uh-huh. a, lot, a lot of uh, black marker pen. <laughs> was really? So he was quite keen to see my version because it didn't have any. Now, I still have that copy knocking around. It's spine broken. You know, it's completely um, worn and used. So I had to wait until it was shown on the TV. Mm-hmm. Which God would have been another couple of years after that, I would imagine, because it took a while for films to come onto television. Didn't oh yeah, it, back then. And I know it was late at night, um, but my dad let me stay up and watch it. I'm not sure whether I uh, initially liked it, if I'm honest, because I was a young man. <laughs> and you're not you're, you're not watching in the best of uh, no, settings, are you? A really? tiny little telly late at night. Um, with adverts, probably. It was probably mm. ITV that had it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> slip of a lad. <laughs> you know, they probably, and it was probably a, it wasn't, it probably wasn't even the theatrical release version. There was probably stuff cut out. Be cut. And it would yeah. have been panned and scanned as well, yeah, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was, it was a revelation to me when I eventually got to watch it, um, on VHS. Particularly the opening scenes, mm-hmm. um, so much better. But I tell you, the best version that I've seen of this was the Blu-ray that came mm. out as the quadrilogy. Yeah, set, set simply stunning version that is. Mm. It's an absolutely gorgeous one. You can see so much of it, and I kind of wish you know I could go and see it properly in the cinema as well now. So it's uh, we go back a while, but like I say, I was I probably had dipped my toe in. It has turned turned into essentially one. If not the one of my favourite films, mm. 
Mm. Um, for many, many reasons. I agree. But what you were saying there about, you know, watching it on ITV, panned and scanned, you know, with the adverts and that, I remember when Aliens came out Mm. and people who worked in the cinema I worked at were going, oh, this is so much better than Alien, this is so much better than Alien. And I said, when when, when have you ever seen Alien? Oh, I've seen it on TV. And it's like you can't compare the experience of watching a film in the cinema, an immersive experience with an audience on the big screen, you can see everything, with something you've watched on ITV. Yeah, I, I agree. This, this film is a film for cinema. It's not a film for a small screen at all. Mm. In, in no shape or uh, shape at all. No, you've got to see it on the big screen. I mean, another uh, um, cinema bit of waffling from me is... Um, when I was at the Canterbury Cinema, the very first digital projector we ever got, we were still 35mm, this is some years away before the change over to digital cinema, but we got a digital projector for showing subtitles, okay? There was this move for subtitling films, and, and, you know, you would have a digital projector running concurrently with the 35mm film, and it would project subtitles if you wanted to of course we worked out actually there's a there's an hdmi socket so <laughs> yeah one morning me and this other guy uh we, we we sat down and i put alien on for him because he had never seen it in the cinema and afterwards he's like there's so much in that film i've never seen before i've never yeah. noticed before because yes he did have it on you know dvd and it was letterboxed but you've got to see it on a big screen to just appreciate yeah. just this wealth of immense detail that's in everything. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, later on we'll probably have a chat about some of the model work, but it just does not come across on anything <laughs> like on, on a small screen as much as it does on a, on mm. a big one. I mean, you know, size of TVs these days, it's, it's getting sort of up there. <laughs> mm. It's not quite there yet, but, mm. uh, but yeah. I have to say, for anyone who's 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 listening, who's who's not seen the Blu-ray version, get get it yeah. and watch it. Watch the Blu-ray version because it is so much better. I will put a caveat that I wasn't impressed with the translation onto Blu-ray for Aliens. I is, felt... is it all this color recorrection yeah. and stuff like that that they're, they're now doing? Well, it's not so much that. It's some of the effects work. It's the plenty of obvious green screen stuff. Whereas there's a lot of matte lines yeah. as well, aren't there? Yeah, whereas Alien, it's just seamless. It's, it's well, uh, most of it was in camera, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, you didn't have matte lines. You can't no. see the matte lines if there's no matte line. You know, no, exactly, exactly. But, uh, but but yes. Yeah, I agree with you. It's one of my favourite films, and the sequence we're going to talk about today. I mean, it, it it that just reinforces to me. You know, this film, like Blade Runner, I I, I can sit down. And I can watch it, and I can't fault it. I can't fault mm. anything in it. I, I can't fault the effects that we're going to be talking about. I can't fault the acting, yeah. the music, the lighting, the editing, whatever you want. You know? yeah. There are a couple of, um, looking back on them now, dodgy effects. Not in the clip that we're going to be looking at, but uh, a certain scene with Ash. Oh uh, yes, like, just like that one. Yeah, but you can doesn't quite work, You can but... allow that for seventy nine. That's all yeah. right. You know. Yeah, but. Um, but again, that was a very brave <laughs> effect shot to do, and it, and it sort of played itself out quite well. Mm. But mm. Uh, particularly, the, I mean, the clip we, we're going to um, examine, it's, uh, it's one of these films where you hadn't seen anything like it before. Right. And honestly, there's been lots of pale imitations of it since, but it's never had the same effect or impact. No. no. No, and particularly, I mean, you know, this is a very good example of how, you know, visually it's brilliant. The, mm. the, the, the score is brilliant when it's there. The sound effects are brilliant when they're there. You know, um, yeah. everything meshes together just superbly. Yeah, so we're fanboys, I'm guessing. We are, yes. I think at the end our vote is going to be above five, don't you? It might well be, yes. Yes, yeah. Before, but before, no we get into, yeah, before we get into it, I thought, you know, um, I thought we'd have a look at the origins of this sequence because okay. it, it's got quite a long convoluted gestation period. Mm-hmm. So if you don't mind, Mark, I'll, I'll, we'll just go through that, okay? Carry on. All right, here we go then. As most fans of the film know, you know, the origin of Alien lies with Dan O'Bannon, um, you know, and wanting to do a scary alien on a spaceship film because he was disappointed uh, with the final result of Dark Star <laughs> yes. and, 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 and the critical reception of Dark Star. <laughs> yes. yes. Was, it was a scary alien, that one. 
<laughs> yeah, but for all the wrong reasons, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. That's coming soon on Effectively Speaking, by the way. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be coming soon. Um, and in his very first, you know, uh, story ideas, uh, this scene that we're going to talk about was sort of there, right? Mm. Right at the beginning. Because in the earliest version of his script, uh, the crew of the ship, they discover a down spacecraft with a skeletal pilot board. That's, that's right, always yeah. been there. Always been there. Um, but in this first version, they return to their ship with the pilot's skull. They actually decide to take this skeleton skull back with them. And hidden in that skull is a microorganism, which will then grow into the alien. Yeah. Did you know that bit? Yeah, I've, um, as, as you probably guess, I, I have another one of these collections of various behind-the-scenes stuff uh, with Alien. I do remember there being some concept sketches mm. uh, by that pro- Probably Ron Cobb. If... Yeah, Ron Cobb was the um, uh, concept artist who was yeah. first on board because he was a mate of Dan mm. O'Bannon's because he had worked with Dan on Dark Star, hadn't he? That's right, yeah. So I remember seeing the a scene or an image of the skull, um, although I hadn't realised that was going to be the way they were getting it on the ship because mm. uh, I sort of seem to recall reading there was some discussion on how they're going to get the alien on the ship. Yeah, well, apparently Dan O'Bannon, he was never happy with the idea of it being just a microbe and it grow from that. And it was uh, his friend and, and eventually producer on the film, Ronald Shusett, mm. who come up with the idea of an alien jumping onto a face and planting a seed inside. Um, but if we're talking derelict, which is what we're talking mm. about, uh, uh, in the next draft, the derelict derelict was actually described and it's described as quote a grotesque ship riding from the sand like some gigantic toadstool (laughs) okay now that dan o'bannon's words but uh um that's what he wanted but his favorite of all the designs for the craft that were done and you know there were a number of different versions um it's the one by ron cobb um which had a very very 70s science fiction paperback look to it it almost looks like a lobster it's very curvy with lots of right, panels yeah, yeah I, re- I remember what you mean yeah all these things we're going to talk about today um we'll be illustrating them on facebook okay so images will go up on the facebook page um and in this in this version when they discover this uh, gigantic toadstool spaceship uh, the door to the ship is open and inside all the corridors have got holes in them like Swiss cheese. Mm. All right. Okay. Uh, captain Standard. The captain of the ship was called Standard uh, <laughs> to begin with. That's something when Walter Hill came on board, he, he jettisoned all the uh, the rather odd names that Dan O'Bannon had come up with. Yeah, that was, that's a bit of a generic name, I would imagine. Yes, uh, very captain, good. Captain Standard. Yes, very good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, well, he climbs up to the upper decks of this uh, toadstool ship and finds, quote, a huge alien skeleton seated in a control chair. It is a grotesque thing bearing no resemblance to the human form. Well, that's not what we ultimately got at the end, did we? Um, no. In 79, it was human-like, wasn't mm, it? Yeah. Now, now with um, you know Prometheus and yes. Covenant, um, we, we, we know what's going on there. Well, um, that's... Yeah, let's not talk about that. Well, <laughs> I, I, I was going to say, whether you choose to actually believe in that or not... Yes, it, that's it's all totally a fevered up. dream. Those yes. Things. See, this is what I don't get. I mean, you know, people who have got a problem with Prometheus and Covenant, just don't watch it. Yeah. Don't just consider it not to be part of the uh, continuity of the series of films. Yeah, I mean, again, yeah, there's that argument about technology levels, but particularly for me, it was their de- their depiction mm. of of the uh, of the jockeys. The problem I've got with it, and it, and it goes right from aliens onwards, is the fact that the more and more you learn about these things, the less and less alien they are. Yeah. What was brilliant about Alien is you don't nothing's explained. No. Okay, Ash has surmises some things, but you don't know whether that's true or not, no. or, or or whether he's protecting it. You know, he, he's just coming up with this bunch of old cobblers to. Uh, protect the alien you know yeah. the whole point of alien is that it's alien if it's if you explain what it is it's not alien anymore so you can't call it alien do you see what i mean no, you just call it explained explained there you... <laughs> yeah 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 that's Native. what this film can be called now explained yes yeah like i agree with you some things just didn't need it don't need it. It don't need it at all um all right so there there we are we've got this cro- grotesque thing 
okay, sat in a chair. Um, on a panel in front of it, they see scratched into its surface a, a small triangle. Um, and there's an urn off to one side, an empty urn off to one right. side, okay? Um, the storm outside, outside subsides, and off in the distance, they see a pyramid. Yep. Yes, you know all this bit yeah, as well, yeah. don't you? Yeah. So they go off to explore it, and en route, uh, the computer decides it's not a distress call. Um, it, 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 it's a warning. <gasps> yeah. Um, they can't find any way into this pyramid, so they climb to the top, and there's this whacking great big shaft going all the way down to the bottom. Again, this has been illustrated by an awful lot of the, yeah. Uh, you know, Ron Cobb, Mobius did it, uh, Giga did it as well. Um, one of the crewmen called Broussard, who eventually will become Kane, uh, is lowered down and finds himself in a storeroom with hieroglyphs on the walls, along with statues of half-human, half-octopus creatures. I'm thinking H.P. Lovecraft when I mm. see that, half-human, yeah. half-octopus creatures. He finds another urn, looks inside, and, quote, a small octopus-like thing leaps out and attaches itself to his face, wrapping its tentacles around his head. So, yes, it's it's sort of there, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's close. Um, and I think, like, like you say, it's, it's modified. Mm. It's, it's uh, not too dissimilar. It's not, to, yeah, it's to refined, its isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's um, the word I was looking for refined yeah all right well we've got to fast forward to when walter hill and david guyler became involved and uh, the first change they did was to lose the pyramid um and and i think that's right because you know they 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 walk to the derelict they walk back with the skull yeah. they then see the pyramid so they walk to the pyramid and then they walk back you know that's so a lot it, of walking a lot of walking and it, yeah yeah it cuts out a lot of walking um so they cut out the pyramid um, instead, they find eggs in a red city. Ooh. A red city. I've never seen any concept art for no. this red city. I don't, I don't recall that, no. that either. No, and it was the captain now who, who gets jumped, mm-hmm. as they thought the audience wouldn't expect it. They, they, they were deliberately ripping off Psycho, you know, what happens to <laughs> Janet Lee in Psycho. Yep. Um, and, uh, but, you know, there are remainders of that in Alien because, you know, I can remember watching it for the first time and, yeah, I thought Dallas was the hero. Um, yeah. it, it was a bit of a shock when he gets it in the and, uh, ventilation shafts. And in the theatrical release, he just disappears. He yes. Hide no hair of him. And that's the end of him. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Because it's unknown because it's Alien. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Shock. Yeah. Yes. <gasps> what a twist. Um, this, this was changed. Okay. Um, to save costs, the derelict was actually on top of the chamber. So, yeah. so in the film, it's not it, it's not that evident. Um, but yeah, they they go in the derelict, and the derelict is on top of a hole in the ground, and that egg chamber is in in the hole in the ground. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I've I've read that in a few different things as well. Yeah. Um, the next draft by Hill had them lose the alien skull. At, at this point, and yeah. in in the early versions, they were quite excited by the thought of maybe meeting an alien, and it was Walter Hill who made it all quite drab and pedestrian. You know, <laughs> they're not that knocked out by the thought they might find an alien, are they? Uh, no, it's sort of like Alf. Yes, <laughs> just going to sit there. Yes, yeah, <laughs> he's yeah. after Jones. <laughs> yeah. All right, and then Ridley Scott comes on board. Okay, so um, a lot of the things that Walter Hill was proposing, they were jettisoned as well. Um, one of the final things that he proposed that the space jockey uh, was in an old Earth craft, not far from an Earth military installation, but that was mm. all rejected when Ridley Scott came on board. Right. Mm. Good. Yes. All right, so so that's it. So uh, that's a little bit of a preamble before we get into the uh, sequence. So shall we get into the sequence? Yep, go for it. Ash, can you see this? Yes, I can. I've never seen anything like it. Very bizarre. Shit. All right. Moving on to second position. What is it? 
Let's get out of here. We've got this far. We must go on. We have to go on. Go. Will you say that again? And if you can see that it's a little I'm going back to the console. Right, so we're going to start our sequence with Dallas, Kane and Lambert walking away from the Nostromo. Uh, brilliantly atmospheric and convincing, this landscape. I mean, you've got a whole lot of special effects going on here. Uh, the main one being, yes, they did build a set. This is all indoors. Mm. Um, it, did you know it was originally Ridley Scott was actually looking to be filming it on location? No, I did not know that. Yeah, in Turkey. Uh, oh, okay. Apparently, there's some very bone-like, you know, rock structures that he thought were very uh, otherworldly, um, and uh, yeah, initially it was going to be location work. But no, this is all in uh, in-house in Shepperton, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's a good choice, personally. When you when you watch this this bit, because weirdly, it feels claustrophobic, even though they're outside. Mm. And I don't think you would have got that feeling if it was on location. No. It helps as well. I mean, he de- he went on to do this with Blade Runner as well. Yeah. He's filmed at night, okay? In Blade Runner, it's rain, but here it's dust. So you've got yeah. a dust storm um, lit very, very well in the dark. And, yeah, you don't at any point go, oh, that's a model, you know? No, exactly. It's, it's very, very much uh, different from the typical sort of Star Trek landing party mm, yeah. <laughs> scenes with the polystyrene rocks yeah the sound effects really pay pay off here because you've got this oh, roar yeah. of the dust storm as well haven't you yeah absolutely and again that that just builds on that claustrophobic sort of feeling mm, mm. and then the sun comes up um which is this watery white light in the sky and and they reach this range, and you say claustrophobic. It gets claustrophobic yeah. then because they're in like this, yeah, the, the, this rocky range. And the music is fantastically creepy at this point. The, yeah. the, the score cannot be underestimated uh, in this film. Um, and, and the lighting is just brilliant. I mean, the landscape, I mean, you can't really see it. I mean, we're going to find out in behind the scenes that it's just basically plaster over wood. But because it's lit so well, the landscape is just black shapes. And the yeah. only illumination really you've got are the helmet lights in the three suits. Well, ex- exactly. Uh, you've got, they're the only sense of scale that you've got, aren't they? Mm. From that, it's uh, again, again, like I, I, I keep saying the word claustrophobic, but it, it feels tense, and yeah. I'm sure the score has got as much to do with that as, mm-hmm. as any of the visuals that are happening. Yeah. yeah, and 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 then in the distance they see the derelict, um, and and I thought very cleverly when when we zoom in on the derelict, it's via Ash's monitor. Yeah. So the quality is not that good on the <sighs> monitor, which which you know, um, if you're going to go close up on a model. Um, that helps disguise things as well, doesn't it? Oh, a- absolutely, and I, I think this this this, this bit of, um, sort of this bit onwards for for a bit was very very clever because it's it's from various people's points of view, isn't it? Mm. Um, yeah, and and they're all talking over one another yeah, as well. It's all absolutely. very natural, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I, I mean, I don't know if you know it was probably very well scripted, but I don't know how much ad, whether there was any ad libbing going on. There was ad libbing all the right. way through the film, you know, okay. to, to the degree that uh, towards the end, um, Yafat Koto was convinced he he's going to kill the alien. <laughs> yeah, I read that. Yeah. <laughs> he's going to beat it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah. Again, it's it's very much it's almost found footagey. <laughs> yes, yeah, it is. Stuff, it is it? long before that. Yeah. Long before that. Um, and next, we've got this terrific landscape shot um, with the three helmet lights just visible, yeah. just just like in the middle of frame. You've got three tiny little pinpricks of light, which are the three helmet lights, and a ringed planet in the sky, and and that's just beautiful. That 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 as a screen capture. I would have that as a desktop image. I really would. Yeah, I mean, are you right, Mark? You're, yeah, you're I, away I, like the bag. I was just, well, I was just watching it. Oh, <laughs> and, I see. And it is, it's, it's, it's stunning. You know, 
because mm. it's just so different from from stuff that you've seen before. Yeah, and the approach to the derelict, it's on again on their uh, helmet cameras uh, with a lot of static, and I'm I'm convinced this static has been put in to hide the join between live action and miniature. So oh, you'll yeah. have a piece on 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 the video showing you know them walking around. Then you've got static. Then you've got the miniature. I, I'm sure it's a segue. It must be, but it just works so well because, it, again, it's all about using sort of visual effects to just build that suspense and that tension mm, mm, mm. because you don't know, oh, God, <laughs> you know, what's happened to him. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, um, back and forth. But I agree it probably is, I can't think of the word I'm looking for, transition. Mm. Um, coverage, yeah, 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 <laughs> that goes on. But it is that raw, grainy, found footage style that, yeah, that yeah. for me, just sets this this particular bit apart. But then we pull out, we go to a big wide shot, and, and again, we have got these three tiny lights by the derelict, which which yeah. is looming over them, which is a brilliant shot as well. Uh, exactly. And and then they reach the uh, Umatron entrances. These three, <laughs> yeah. these three entrances. Now, up to this point, everything is Earth-based technology, isn't it? And, yeah. and and we've seen the derelict in its shadowy form. But but yeah. here we go. Um, we've got these entrences. Yes. Actually, there's there's more in behind the scenes, as as yeah. as phallic as that may be. <laughs> let's, um, let's leave it for that. Yes. yes. All right. Okay. So <laughs> yes, they so so they they penetrate uh, the derelict. Okay. Uh, it's going to be one of those. It is. I'm afraid. Yeah. The, the carry on alien. <laughs> oh. Oh. Can you make Kenneth Williams would have a heart attack if he if oh. he went on the set and saw uh. them or Sid James. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. No. They 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 go in and that's when Ash loses contact completely yeah. with them. Um, and as he says, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go back to the console or, or whatever, yeah. we see them inside this corridor. And I think it's brilliant because it immediately goes to silence. You've, you've had all the roar of the outside and the static on their cameras. Yeah. But when you first see them going down that corridor, again, fantastically lit, yeah. um, um, it's just silence with just their breathing. Yeah, and that very much sort of, sort of low whistly noise yeah and then occasionally you get a bit of the score as well that chung 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 bit you know yeah as they go down this corridor and kane finds something different um there's something a bit different here we don't actually see what he sees but he says there's something different here and and the three of them climb up the wall again we don't see them climb up the wall we just see kane's uh face as he comes over the lip of, of where he's got to and uh and John Hurt, you know, um, he's in this helmet. It must be sweating buckets, but he conveys, you know, the uh, he's staggered by what he sees. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, it's part of that comes down to the suit design and stuff because they always made me think that they were trying. You know, do you remember the old Kilroy? Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because of the because of the height of the sort of bottom part of the helmet, it always mm. felt to me that they were already peering over yeah, yeah, <laughs> something yeah, yeah. anyway. But then you get that sort of double up as he looks over the, uh, the <laughs> bit there. And it is, It's again, it's just that, it's just the way that shot opens. Mm. And, you, and you're like, oh, what is it? <laughs> yeah, because we get this reveal, don't we? Because yeah. um, um, the camera goes past the sp- space jockey. So we only see a bit of the space jockey. But then as it pulls past it, um, it, it uh, revealing it bit by bit. The camera then goes up and above, yeah. so we're looking down on it as the three climb up onto this platform. Yeah, and suddenly it's like, what the, <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. And Dallas states the obvious. You know, it's an alien life form. I don't think that was necessary. <laughs> no. Yes. It, yeah. He's, just, he's not. He's just big boned. Come on. Yes. And and dead for some time. He says it's fossilized and, and it's yes. been dead for some sometimes. Um, and he, they go across and they see the exploded chest. Yeah. Um, that that's a little quibble. The whole oh, it looks like it's exploded from the inside is a bit of a. It's a very minor quibble, but it's a bit oh, okay. You're setting this up for ne- what what comes next, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. It's quite an obvious foreshadow. It's it's very reminiscent of sort of horror movies <laughs> of mm. that time. It's mm. like, oh, look what happened to him. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hope it doesn't happen to us. Who who's your favourite character in Alien? Oh, that's a very good question. That's a very good question, indeed. 
Am I putting you on the spot? Mm, yeah, you are, because I have to go probably um, either Parker or Brett. Um, probably Parker, I would I would think. Yeah. Um, for a few different reasons, but uh, why? <laughs> I'm going to no, throw one back at you. <laughs> because my favourite is Lambert. Right. I, I love Lambert because Lambert's the audience, basically, isn't she? And yeah. she's the sensible one. And she says, here, let, let's get the hell out of it. <laughs> True. Yeah, she you says would. that a lot. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but she, yeah, yeah, you know, she's so natural. You know, she's yeah. terrified <laughs> throughout this whole film. <laughs> It's true, actually. Yeah. Think of it, <laughs> particularly on the journey here. Yeah, <laughs> she yeah, is yeah, the she... one encouraging, and it's um, uh, Kane, isn't it? Is it? Um, she says, "No, we must go on." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We yeah. must go on. I like it when when Dallas says, uh, "Lambert, you're, you too," and she's like, "Yeah, mm, great." Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they mm. climb down. Kane has now found this melted hole. Yes, in the floor. Um, presumably that's the acid of the alien that's done that. Well, it's interesting because it's, it's quite a regular hole, isn't it? If you, when you, when you look at it, if it was, I would imagine if it was acid, it would be more sort of burnt around the edges, but where they've got the piping and stuff, it, it almost feels dug out when you look at it. When you were that schoolboy with your yes. um, um, graphic novel and then watching it, yes. what, what did you actually think was the situation here? Who is that space jockey? And 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 you know what? Why? What's going on? Did you ever really try and figure it out? No, not at that point. They just figured it. Ooh, a big freaky alien. Hmm. But, I can uh, I can remember thinking, all right, okay, if this space jockey had uh, you know a chest burster inside it, how big's the face hugger to cover that face up? Yeah, actually, that's yeah. very, very that's a, true. That's a giant face hugger, isn't it? And given the shape of his face, then mm. he's got a trunk. Mm. Mm. Yes. 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 Interesting. Maybe there was another way in for that space species, matron. Or perhaps they were just humans in suits. Or maybe they were, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so they decide to go down uh, down this hole and check out what's going on. Well, Kane does. He's very gung-ho, Kane, isn't he? He's an oh, eager yeah. beaver. Um, I'll yeah, do it. I'll do it. I'll do it all the way through. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Perhaps he's after a bigger share. <laughs> maybe it's, that's what it is. But So, yeah, they're going to go down there, and, yeah, they're just about to lower him down. Um, but that's where our sequence is ending, because um, when he goes down through that hole and he's lowered down, that we get into the facehugger scene ah, yes. and the egg. And that's going to be an, a separate episode in the Ooh, future. So Exciting. Yeah, so we're ending here as... One of the, my favourite moments in the film is as the, they, they, they get ready to go down there, the camera goes back to the space jockey's face as we go to a fade. And you, you've mm. just basically got that eyeball. Ooh, yeah. it, it just goes in on that eyeball and that music and everything. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. The bit that got me with, with that when you got a close-up of it was the, the whole sort of flaky skin <laughs> texture. Yeah, I know what that is. Do you know what that is? I I have an idea, but um, I'd rather you say it because you're more of an expert. Well, I'm not an expert at all. (laughs) You've got a better memory than I have. (laughs) I've got a friend who actually did that, by the way. Yes, Yes, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute, all right? Oh, exciting. So, yeah, that's the sequence over. So, it it is behind the scenes. And I thought we we would break the behind the scenes up into... It's constituent parts. Makes sense. There's yes. a lot of in stuff. In the order of what we see. Okay. Now, the very first thing we see in this sequence is something I know you're a fan of, mm-hmm. and that's the suits. Oh, I love them. That the, 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 the guys are wearing. In fact, Absolutely. I think I was responsible for you spending money. And, um, uh, and Yes. Yeah, sorry about that, Mark. <laughs> that's fine. I have all of the ones that are out at the moment. Mm, what the necker ones aren't the they? Necker, the necker ones, yeah. I have all the Nostromo crew ones. Have you got Lambert? Yes. She comes with uh, two heads, doesn't she? Yes. One Scare. looks very worried. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> one looks like she's crapping herself. I've got to get that. I've, I've really got to get that. Uh, yeah, get it, get it now because they they are going up. They are releasing 
And this, I don't know, you get a sponsorship by NECA. They are yeah, well, releasing be nice. Parker and Brett for as part of the 40th anniversary. But oh, really? But they're not in the suits, obviously. No. Because they, they never were. Well, they originally in the script, they were going to be in suits. Yeah. They had that thing called the flying bedstead, didn't they? Where they were actually <laughs> oh, going yeah. to go out and the thing that <laughs> make, makes the engine go wrong, they, they, they try fixing. That's right, yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just a huge, huge fan. I mean, I, I love the design of it. I've, you know, I've watched all the um, famous person on YouTube. Oh, <laughs> the, oh, the, Adam. Makes, yes, make, make, who made his own, and there was also recently that school in uh, North oh, America that, that, that did that, the play, that. and yeah, yeah, and he showed the uh, how they built theirs, which was very inventive, but. V- matched it beautifully i i'm going to put a photo on facebook i'll send it to you later as well um there's a guy who basically just went to a a a home diy place and 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 he he, (laughs) just from there he got all the ingredients he needed to make a pretty authentic looking nostromo helmet it doesn't surprise me Mm. (laughs) given what we know yes yeah how these things are made so, yes, I mean, Alien is a fascinating uh, film if you're into, you know, uh, design work and concept yeah. art because there were an awful lot of artists yeah. working on every stage, everything, you know, even down, you know, Ron Cobb famously doing all the, all the patches and the yeah. pins, yeah. stuff you don't really see, you know, Roger Christian doing all the, the weapons, but you basically don't see any of them, you know, yeah. there's a tons of stuff. The beer cans. Uh, the beer cans as well. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and yes, uh, costume-wise, uh, Ridley Scott was really keen on Mobius's yes. designs because he was a big fan of um, uh, Mobius for his work in heavy metal, wasn't he? Yeah, and, and these, these were quite early designs, weren't they, in the process? They were very early, yeah, and, and, and really quite colourful. And I think yeah. that, 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 that did come across because they are all colour-coded, aren't they? Yes. Uh, Yes, yeah, and again, that's that's quite unusual. I mean, it, when you um, so I'll go back to talk about those figures, the um, obviously the Rip, the Ripley one is in her emergency suit mm-hmm. from the end, which is white, but the others are in their colours there. And once you get them all standing next to each other, you realise how much of a rainbow it is. It <laughs> is, it is, you know. And it's I think that's very, very clever because they could just go down the route of grey spacesuits or white spacesuits all the time. But with the but, lighting of the film, yeah. you wouldn't have seen it. It would just be like a grey mess, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. But it's also that whole aesthetic which carries across the entire film of a working crew. Mm, yeah, <laughs> you know, you know, they're patched, they're they're beaten up. Yeah. And boy, were they beaten up because, you know, they went to town with washes and, and dirt and stuff. They even got sandpaper yeah. uh, to, to, to scratch it all up. But as I say, it was Mobius that designed them. Ridley Scott really liked the designs and he handed the building of them, the actual construction of them to John Mollo, uh, a, a very well-known name in uh, science fiction costume design. I mean, the guy who practically designed what an awful lot of folk in the original Star Wars look like that was down to John Mollo um, and so basically Ridley Scott went to John Mollo and said look these are the designs I like these designs but I want them more armoured and I want them to have a samurai, samurai armour mm. feel about them okay which is why you've got the big bulky shoulder pads yeah. and, and the cricket pads they are actually real cricket pads on the shins aren't they yeah and same with the gloves as well aren't they yeah and there's a lot of ice hockey gear in there yeah. as well and american football protective wear yeah yeah and i also think the use of like snoopy um hats inside mm. um just doubles up on, on the kind of the realism yeah, yeah <laughs> of it yeah, yeah. because it's very much apollo era oh very much um, so yeah yeah aesthetic that goes on with yeah. it yeah and and the um, the actual helmet, the original helmet, um, that was that was sculpted in clay, um, and then cast in fiber, fiberglass. But before it was cast, there was a lot of kit bashing went on it. There's a surprise. There's a surprise. Now you know we've mentioned kit bashing before mm. a lot on this show. To anybody who don't know what we're talking about, kit bashing is. Generally, it's in special effects. Uh, if you're making miniature spacecraft or vehicles or whatever in a science fiction way, 
you get model kits it could be anything it could be world war one battleships world war two tanks you take the parts you cut them about you adapt them you put them on as dressing don't you it's greeblies yeah. or, or 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 wiggets as they, they were called wiggets on alien not greeblies and uh yeah uh, they also did that to busy up all the surfaces on these helmets. And there's a whole bunch of model kit parts in there. Um, one that just jumps out at me like mad is the engine from the Space 1999 Hawk. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, again, I'll put it on Facebook. You've got a clear shot. The, the, the engine bell of this Hawk spacecraft uh, came in two halves. And what somebody has done, and I don't know if it's Martin Bauer or Bill Pearson or Phil Ray or John Sorensen or or if it was any of the mos, uh, model makers. I, sh- I should think it would be rather than, say, John Mollo. T- has taken, if you imagine, the two halves of the engine bell, turned them vertically so the, 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 the mouth of the bells of the two halves are, are pushed together. Hmm. And that's just on the side of the helmet. I don't know if that's been, uh, uh, you know conveyed on the Necker figures. I haven't looked on my one. I'll have to go and have a look. Mm, I don't know. I'll have to have a look. All right. Okay. So that's that's the outfits out of the way, okay? Cool. Uh, can I just add, before we yes. move on, I was also particularly impressed with the way that they displayed um, the breathing mm. in, in that. And that just added so much, I think, in that to the, again, can I use the word claustrophobic? The claustrophobic feel when they first entered the derelict as well, because you, you have this it hitting <laughs> the ceiling. Well, one of the uh, um, actors definitely got claustrophobic. I forget which one, but uh, that is achieved by um, liquid nitrogen. Mm. That's liquid nitrogen firing off, and uh, it leaked into one of the helmets of one of the actors. Oh, my Lord. Who damn near passed out. I can't remember who it was, but yeah, yeah, yeah. That liquid nitrogen <laughs> filled it up in the okay. helmet. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it was impressive anyway. I guess they figured, yeah, I guess they figured it out that one of the three, their plume of, um, you know, steam isn't as big as the others. <laughs> <laughs> and then they fell over. And then they fell over. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's the suit. So let's uh, let's have a quick look at the landscape. Okay. Now, originally, um, H.R. Giger, he was given the job of designing the landscape. Again, lots of different artists did it, but, but Giger saw it as... Uh, being very rugged and hostile with these huge towering bone-like formations Mm. okay a lot of people thought this is a big budget film and it did have a large budget but but the money men were on Ridley Scott and everyone's backs all the time and there was a a lot of cost cutting okay and this is an instance here Um, the budget uh, limited just what you could do for this planet landscape okay so instead they made clay models Okay, um, at roughly one half inch to the foot scale to get the shapes right, and when they were happy with them, they'd take a mould, cast it in plaster, splice it up, then they'd lay the pieces down on a piece of paper on a grid, multiply it by twenty-four, and from that you've got the dimensions for making the wooden formers. Wow. Yes. Um, and and then uh, once you've made the wooden formers. Uh, Plaster was put over the top of that, and then fiberglass over the top of that. Cool. Yeah. Now, I'd read somewhere, and I don't know if I'm getting things muddled up, because uh, there's lots of this stuff going in my head, that they did use some sort of bones as for, for shapes in the original. They used a lot forms. of bones, but the thing is that, you know, you, you hear varying accounts of just what these bones were used for. Yeah. You know, um, that uh, Giga sculpted them into the miniature landscape um, or on the, on the alien suit, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But yes, they did. They, they, they brought in an awful lot of bones from, from medical supply places, from vets, from um, um, slaughterhouses. They all had to be cleaned and steamed and everything, especially the human bones. Apparently they had human bones as well. Good Lord. Yeah, there was a human skull. They actually had a human skull when they were making up the prototype for the alien head. Oh, yes. And, and, and yeah, you have... I didn't realise this, but you have to treat them because there is a danger of anthrax. Oh, my Lord. You can't just bring in an old load of bones and start sawing them up. (laughs) Oh, all right, then. That's my weekend. Yes, yes. Yes, sorry, Mark. Yes, (laughs) yeah. Uh, But, yeah, it it does say that for the miniature landscape, um, Giga was sculpting a lot in clay and then pressing in real bones. 
Apparently they that they had a, a rhino skull as well was Gosh. supplied to them. I don't know if that's the basis for the space jockey, because it that, that dimensionally that's about the size of a rhino skull, isn't it? Mm, yeah. Interesting and shape shape wise. Yes. Yeah. Um, mm. Right, the derelict. Okay, yes. and I'm guessing this is after uh, Ridley Scott had seen what HR Giga can do. But Ridley Scott saw the derelict as being breast-like. <laughs> okay. Mm. Yeah, breast-like and the jockey inside being frozen in death, still holding the weapon it was firing. Mm. So that whacking great big, rather suggestive thing at an angle, apparently is a weapon in more yeah. senses of the word. Mm. And uh, when Kane drops down... Uh, through that hole we were just talking about, it was going to be even more sexual because uh, he he was actually meant to cut a membrane open, so it would almost uh, be like a hymen that you oh cut open. Lord. Yeah, and then air is released from it, and that's yes. and that is the thing that is the trigger to the eggs that somebody is approaching. I mean, ultimately they used that laser, didn't they? That they had borrowed from the Who. Oh yes. Um, and Kane says there is a layer of mist that reacts when. Uh, when broken but no originally there was meant to be a skin membrane that he cuts open with a knife oh, it's, it's so, so much like Battle Beyond the Stars really isn't it <laughs> <laughs> the channeling is in a Roger Corbin yeah there you go yeah 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 um, and uh, Ridley he told Giga to design a ship that couldn't have been mm. made by humans mm. right and uh, so he decided to go with an organic shape uh, covered with technical stuff yeah all right. Yeah, but it's again, it's it's that other world alienness mm. of it. Yeah, which well, just makes it stand out. Yeah, well, this ship, which Ridley Scott uh, nicknamed the Croissant, okay, um, <laughs> he painted a version of it, and, and and it's that one where you're almost down on the ground and you're looking up at it. Right. Okay. Yes. And uh, and. It got the approval of Ridley Scott. He said, like, great, okay, we'll take that across to the miniatures department. Head of miniatures department, we just said Space 1999. Brian Johnson was head of the special effects department. And he had a problem with it because mm. he thought it was a wonderful design, but they couldn't construct it because he sa said, as drawn, it's like an Aisha drawing. You know, it's, yeah. like, it's like an optical illusion. In 3D, that can't work, Okay. So to compromise, what they did was they got a, a block of polystyrene, he got a hot wire cutter, and he, he cut out a, a, a shape that was approximately like it, okay? And, uh, given, and then he gave that to Giga because it's like, right, have a go at this one because we know this shape actually works in three dimensions. Gave it to Giga, and Giga did that very well-known painting of the derelict where you're directly above it looking straight down. It's like a plan yeah. design of it, okay? Um, now, this miniature version, okay, call it a miniature version, it was at roughly 12 feet across. Yeah, yeah, I heard it was a big one. Yeah, oof, matron. Mrs. Um, <laughs> see, here we go again. Um, um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, everyone says about Peter Jackson and Weta, you know, they're not miniatures, they're bigatures, but, you know... That's been going on for years. I mean, this is 12 foot across, mm. the, the, this spaceship. And you, and you don't see it much in the film, but they went to all no. the trouble of making this, okay? It was mainly constructed by a guy by the name of Peter Vosey, okay? Now, Peter Vosey, I think, is a criminally under-acknowledged talent behind Alien. Because not only did he do this, he did the space jockey, he did the, 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 the hero alien egg as well, okay? Oh, right. He was a master sculptor of wood and stone usually in his day job he uh, created figureheads for ships huh. and buildings so you can see why he would be good for carving organic shapes so this 12 foot across miniature okay had a metal armature over which was uh, a polystyrene shell which was then clad in fiberglass netting and over that there was a thin skin of plasticine on top and 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 then into that, that's when Peter pressed in all this cable and wire and the odd technical piece, you know. Did a fantastic job of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I say, for the little that we saw of it, it is one of those vehicles that sticks in your mind. Hmm. Hmm. I've been studying that a lot just lately because I've got I've, I've, I've got the alien derelict right, and you know Brian Johnson's 
finding it difficult to to you know recreate it in 3D. I'm having a problems with paint wise mm. because I yeah I've got this alien derelict ship and I thought rather than paint it how it comes across in the film which looks very metallic-y, doesn't it? Yeah. You, you, you know, it's all it, 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 the way it's lit. It looks like it's gun metal. It's not. I, yeah. I'll tell you what it is in a minute. But um, I've just done that with my Nostromo that I painted, and I didn't want to do that. And I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll do it in a style similar to what H.R. Giga did in the original paintings. All right. Mm. But the problem I've got there is my miniature isn't twelve feet across. It's more like <laughs> twelve inches across. And if you look at the paintings of Giga of the Derelict. What he's doing, he's almost got like a white uh, base colour, and then with an airbrush, all the detail work, all that pipe work, is has been airbrushed in like dark brown and and blacks, right? Mm. Which is chuffing difficult to do <laughs> when, when when you've got a tiny little model and you haven't got an airbrush. Yeah, yeah. So so I'm doing it more in the colour scheme, a bone colour scheme of like the space jockey. That's what I'm I'm aiming for. All right. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. I mean, when you look at it in that, particularly that initial scene where you're looking up at it, I think mainly because of the way the thing's shot, it has a blue tone to mm. it, sort of very cold um, tone indeed. And honestly, that you don't see much more of that other until you get to something like Aliens, where you see mm. a little bit more of it. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a tough one. It is a tough one, and it, it's virtually impossible to recreate the color scheme that they actually did because the world has changed. Mm. Martin Bauer said that what they did was they initially sprayed onto the model an oil-based matte black, right? Yeah. And while that matte black was still wet. They sprayed on cellulose Roman bronze, which created a reaction because the two paints won't mix. Okay, yeah. so they start reacting with each other, creating all these intricate, very organic mottling effect to the colour. Okay, and then when that was dried, they went in with an airbrush and they airbrushed in grey and black and bronze. Mm. Now you can't get by oil-based and cellulose-based spray paints anymore. Health and yeah. safety has stopped that happening, you know. Um, everything's like acrylic-based now, isn't it? Yeah. You know? Yeah, and you just don't get that chemical effect. No, no. I mean, Martin said that before, you know, that that, that many of the colour schemes that he did on, like, Space 1999 and Alien, I mean, it was the zinc primer on, on the Nostromo, yeah. a, a, a one that you buffed up. It was almost like Brasso in a can that you sprayed. <laughs> Health and safety won't allow you to do that now, you know. Yeah. So, so yeah, it, it's tricky to actually get a match. I guess, you know, when the Prometheus comes along, you know, everything's CGI and it, it sort of becomes a lot easier. Yeah, but then I don't think they look as good. No. As, as this, uh, like you say, you only see it very few. In fact, I'm looking at one of the other scenes right now from the front. And it's mostly in shadow. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you got no chance. Yeah, yeah. All right, so so you've got this miniature. It's all painted up. It's all ready to go, and it's put into a miniature landscape. And for that long shot of the three approaching the ship, right, yeah. this is what I love about, you know, special effects, okay? They made three small figures, all right? They're mm -hmm. only an inch and a half tall, right? And they were glued to a sort of a conveyor belt, about 18 <laughs> inches long, right? So if you imagine three figures, an inch and a half tall, glued onto a conveyor belt, 18 inches long, and each one of those figures has got a tiny little light in it. <laughs> so when you see that fantastically beautiful shot of the derelict with the three little lights, you've got to imagine these tiny little figures, almost like Michael Benteen's potty time. That's just what came to mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just on a little conveyor belt, on a bit of string. Isn't that brilliant? Oh, you would never know. No. And also, not only were they stuck on this conveyor belt, they were pivoted. They had a little pivot. So as they as they pulled along, they moved slightly from side to side. So that little light just moved just a little bit, just to give an appearance of life. Isn't that brilliant? That's marvellous. I'm, I'm just looking at that bit now, and it's the way that they've... Oh, yeah. They've just fade out. Brilliant. Yeah. 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 Now, um, the draftsman and, and art director on this film, uh, Les Dilley, 
Okay, he took the uh, the uh, painting that Giga had done of the final version of the derelict with the three Ua matrons on the front, <laughs> and what a day that would have been! He he had to lay that illustration down and measure it with a with a ruler, and then draw up plans for the full size one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but he didn't think he'd be I wonder what he was thinking of <laughs> <laughs> as he was doing that. Um, and and so yeah, the, um, the, the these three full size entrances, okay, they measured nine foot six inch, uh, nine foot six inches tall, and seven foot three inches wide, okay. And the rest of the ship that was built full size was sixty feet long and thirty five feet high. Wow. Again, constructed on wood with plaster over the top of it. All right. Yeah. Now I remember start reading somewhere, and I'm not sure whether it was the novelization that kind of claimed that the ship had crashed and one of the arms had broken, and it was the crack, the, the what they went through to get onto. The, no, onto the you're ship. Th- no, you're thinking of aliens. Um, oh, is that? I, I think one? it's in a deleted scene or something. Yes, there's been seismic okay. activity. It snapped, and that's how you know. Um, Newt's family got into the derelict. I told you, all these things merge in my yeah. head. Cause it, it, <laughs> yeah, because it was to answer that question, well, how did they get, did they find the space jockey and blah, 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 blah. Right, they bypassed that bit. Okay. Yeah, but they still have, would have had to have abseiled down into the chamber, wouldn't they? Well, yeah, but it would, wouldn't have been as much fun. Indeed. All right. Okay, anyway. right. And, and then last, we've got, we have got the space jockey. Yeah. Um, and Rodden Cobb was the first to visualise the space jockey, um, going with mm. a four-eyed skeleton. That, yep. that, that illustration, it, it, it's very much in shadow. I think the, the, the crew are there and they've got torches, and, and you see it, it's mostly black, but it, you can see it's got four eyes. That's the one that um, Dan O'Bannon really liked. That was his yeah. favourite uh, before Giga got involved. Um, and as I say, he did lots of designs for all, all over the uh, all over the shop. Um, he, mm. he drew the original facehugger and and yep. the pyramid exactly as Dan O'Bannon had described them. But ultimately, he was just assigned to design the Earth technology, yeah. and Giga would do the alien-based ones. I think that's much better, don't you? To have two completely different yeah. artists do di- and, uh, different uh, yeah, worlds. Ab- absolutely, because you look at the Ron Cobb alien stuff, and it's it's not as good as. What he did for for the uh, for the Earth based mm. stuff because there was too much of that influence in it, and here comes this this other guy completely left field, yeah, <laughs> you, you know, and his stuff even before it was anything associated with this was just alien. Oh, and, good lord! And mad and <laughs> I can see, I, I can totally see why you know, yeah. um, you know, when you know uh, Dan O'Bannon showed. Um, you know, the Necronomicon to Ridley yeah. Scott, he's spluttered into his tea, and yeah. you know, Walter Hill, when he sees it first time, saying, You know, this man is sick. I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, it's not, <laughs> not safe for work, an awful lot of no. uh, his paintings, I must <laughs> no, say. And, no. and some of them that aren't in the ne- Necronomicon, I've, I've got a book of his, and uh, yeah, it's how can I put it? It, it, it? His girlfriend is the basis. For um, some of those paintings, and yes, 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 <laughs> yes the the um, the shape and form of the entryways to the derelict, are yes, surprising. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. Having having those two completely different styles again, I think it just made the film so much more than it could have been. Yeah. Because it's alien. I mean, you look at anything <laughs> in that book, bloody alien. hell. Yeah. So Ridley told Giga he wanted the crew to come up over the edge of something into this big chamber, you know, dominated by yeah. a chair. And he said, all right, I want the occupant of the chair to look like, and he got out one of his paintings, and it's called Necronom 5. All right. right. And Necronom 5, it's basically, it is the alien. But top left in that picture You've got something, and that is almost identical to what they eventually mm-hmm. uh, uh, created as the space jockey. All right? Okay. Okay. Right. And again, after designing it, after, you know, saying that's the one I want, it was the job was given to Peter Vosey and his team. Um, but again, due to costs, the jockey was built at only a fraction of the size it was supposed to be. It was meant mm. to be much, much bigger than... Uh, the, than what we saw on screen. Yes, and I'm guessing you're going to 
discuss how they managed to make it look bigger. Yes. Well, here we go. This is... <laughs> Spoilers. Yes. <laughs> so, would you get away with it now? Would you Would you put three small children in in, in, in costumes like that and, and get them to clamber all over like that? Yeah, I, don't, I don't think you could be allowed, surely. Well, it's kind of into nightmare territory, isn't it? Two, but... two of them was Ridley Scott's own children. So, That's right, so, yes. so yeah, the buck yeah. stops there, I guess. I suppose, yeah, if he's got his permission. But that's a, but it's just such a wonderful, wonderful way of, of increasing the scale of something, yep. isn't it? Yep, it's a genius idea. Absolute, absolutely. Um, but also the fact that they built small miniature versions of the spacesuits. And where are they now? I want to <laughs> yes. know where these suits are now. <laughs> already Ridley Scott's house. Yeah. Uh, um, but yes. Um, and also, I, I, I seem to recall that only a portion of the backdrop was actually built and they kind of rebuilt it or filmed it well, in a, in a certain way. Was that right? Or am I thinking, again, am I thinking of a Yeah, no, no, film? you are right. There, there was this big problem when, you know, the suits at Fox said the, the jockey scene had to go. This scene right. has got to be cut out because it's, it's going to cost an awful lot of money and it's just in one scene. You never see it again, right? You've got to lose it, right? And Ridley Scott, of course, was totally against that. And the compromise was, all right, give us the money to make the space jockey. What we'll do is we'll just make one wall of no. the chamber. And if you have the space jockey, you know, on a, on a podium that can turn, on a turntable, yeah. we only need the one wall, you see. So that's what they did. As the cameras, cameras went round to the other side right. of the jockey... That they just moved it around and, 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 you know, did it that way. So that kept costs down. And also they reused that wall. That's the wall of the egg chamber that Kane yes. finds the egg, you see. So yeah. that was the trade-off. All right, let us keep the space jockey. We'll only make one section of the wall. Good. I'm, I'm glad it's not me going mad. No, it's not. It's not. You're an alien fanboy, you know. I mean, I know, all this information but... has gone in over the years. It's just, you know, slowly coming up to the surface, isn't it? It's dividing what the comic books say from the Yeah, <laughs> from there's the that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, the video games and everything. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So, again, to make this space jockey, uh, the team made a rough framework from wood and then sculpted over that with plaster and a sort rib tubing and stuff and as it neared completion that's when Giga stepped in and he, yeah. he added the final details particularly on the head this this dusty bit coming off thing that you're talking about yes that's nothing more than latex it, cool. it, it, it's just latex that's dappled on wait for it to dry and then you can rub at it and, and it just peels and comes off but it just looks that it just made that see that close up. Mm, mm. And as I say, I've got a friend. He made a full size uh, um, alien egg, and what really—I mean—he did a brilliant job of it. But what really sold it was he did the same thing. He covered it with latex and then yeah. ripped it off. And and as it breaks, it breaks into like little circles. It snaps yeah. apart like like bursting bubbles. And yeah, yeah, yeah really sold it. Ooh. Mm. Good, because it, it could have then, you know, without, I don't think without that last bit, it would have looked as organic, even though it's supposed to be fossilised mm. and it's supposed to be old. It would have looked like stone, wouldn't it? Yeah, rather it than, would have looked, rather than like bone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <coughs> and that's it. That's, that's all I've got on, on behind the scenes. Yeah. All right. No, absolutely. All fabulous. Right. Fabulous. How fabulous, though? Out of 10, Mark? Ooh. Because I've been for this particular scene, I'm going for a ten. I'm pushing it. I love this scene, and I love this film. So you know, see, that's, if it's my decision, I'm going for it. No, no, that's absolutely <laughs> fine. That's absolutely fine. Because if you think, all right, it, say it's a ten, what what in it don't you like to actually mark it down? And I can't think of anything that we've no. talked about in this sequence that would mark it down from a ten. No, I, I can't at all either. It just works brilliantly. The special mm. effects are brilliant. The music's brilliant. The lighting's brilliant. The sound effects are brilliant. No, you're all right. A, a 10 it is. Yes. We haven't had a 10 for a while, so there we go. Yes. All right. <laughs> Not bad for something that was pitched as Jaws in Space. Jaws in Space. And everybody thought it was going to be a B movie, you know? The, stu yes. the studios wouldn't touch yeah. it, you know? they yeah. uh, Even when Star Wars broke, you know, um, it, it, it was still, oh, I don't know, you know? Yeah. Well, 
All right. Okay. Well, that, that, that's been a very enjoyable Friday night. So yes, I think so, and I, th- I do think beer is calling. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Will you or, go off no, and have a beer? That's that's no, no. It's a warning. Sorry, I was, I just got, <laughs> got the interpretation back through. All right. Okay. Well, thank you very much for today, <laughs> thank Mark. Thank you very much, young man. All right, and uh, yeah, I'll speak to you soon. Absolutely. See you later. Cheers, matey. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.